This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. Every Wednesday, you'll be chilling with me and my guests, who are some of the quirkiest, geekiest people we can find on the internet about how they do money and life. Sit back, relax. We are a few days away from the weekend. Welcome to Chill Swift TFC. You buy a hundred K investment in this stock, A, right? You watch it drop. 2%. To some people, uh, that drop is like, oh my God, I should have bought lower. Some people might think that, oh, I shouldn't have bought so early. Some people might think, that, oh, this is a huge loss. This is like some somebody's one month salary. But to some people, it's like 2% only, right? That kind of feeling uh, is where that is one of many ways that you can determine if you are a high risk taker or a low risk taker. Welcome to Choose with TFC, where we sit down with the geekiest, quirkiest individuals to learn about how they do money and life. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. And today we are going to be spending some time to discuss Vietnam as an investment theme, okay? To be fair, this is not new. I've heard about Vietnam since at least five years ago, and it's often suggested that Vietnam will be the beneficiary of this US China trade war as companies relocate to Vietnam to avoid tariffs on both sides, okay? But the real question is the real question is, Will this real economic development be reflected in the stock market of Vietnam such that you and I can benefit from it with a click of the button? Because I think um, as much as there's a lot of real economic growth, I don't think a lot of you will be going to Vietnam. But if you are, please let me know. I would love to uh, get you on the show to talk a little bit about how you think Vietnam and all the hustle and bustle that you are doing in Vietnam. I think there's a lot to highlight. But specifically for today's episode, I'm glad to be joined by the investment team at CGSCIMB as they have recently launched C. CGS Full Growth Vietnam 30 Sector Cap ETF. Simply put, they have launched a Vietnam ETF, okay? To so I'm very excited to be with them to understand how they see Vietnam and of course the risk reward around it. This is Chill Swift TFC. Okay, so maybe before we begin, you could just kind of introduce a little bit about yourself, what do you do, blah blah blah. My name is Adi Olapade and I am Group Head Investment Management at CGSCIMB. My name is Phuc Guan. I'm with CGSCIMB in the multi-product sales team. We do retail accounts, some advice for clients, and I also take charge of the FinLit content that the firm does. Ah, okay. So you're my point of contact, right? In that sense. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, okay. So then what do you do at the firm? I'm responsible for a lot of people uh-huh. and I report into people. <laughs> <laughs> do you actively participate in the investment decision? Um, I do participate in the investment decisions in relation to the business, but generally they are more, there are people within the organization that are more focused on a day-to-day basis as opposed to myself. Of course. Okay. Okay. So you came from the investment background. You, you also came from the investment background? Yes. And then find yourself into a different position? Is that kind of how it works? I started the other way around. I actually wanted originally to be a compliance officer. Oh my God, you're so boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're the boring it's safe, people. safe, monotonous. It's like clockwork. Well, <laughs> you could say that. Okay. Yeah. Oh my, who wants to, who wants to, to be, be like compliance? You don't say that. Some office. people actually want some like steady, peaceful okay, life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Okay, shout out to you, right? If you're a bad office, I'm not judging you, right? okay? But 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 how do you end up in, in this then? 
No, so um, I originally started working with uh, Kim Eng in Singapore. Kim Eng Securities. Okay, okay. And um, I was what you'd call a Padawan because my former boss had this great thing and love for Star Wars. And he literally said he was a Jedi master and that anyone who worked within the business unit at the time were all learning. So we're young Padawans. So until we become a Jedi. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you're either with me or you're against me. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> oh my God. Please don't name drop. <laughs> okay yes very good very good so today we are in studio to talk a little bit about this new thing okay maybe not so new i think it's been like five years at least five years i've heard this buzz around like this vietnam idea right investing in vietnam right so um yeah we would like to kind of understand a little bit better i think recently there's been more buzz around it and not such great buzz right so we will talk a little bit about you know vietnam and all that jazz right? so everybody know vietnam but why vietnam as an investment opportunity what is your story you know i refuse to use the word thesis right let's just say <laughs> what is the story here yeah so Vietnam is an emerging market, currently classified as frontier, but when you look at the macroeconomic fundamentals, um, there's such great potential within Vietnam. It's what you'd call the right hub, given the current geopolitical climate, as China strengthens its posture in terms of being number two and potentially number one. The last two years, or particularly over the COVID period, has brought about a rethink where people now want to have or domicile their logistical hubs, their supply chain in other countries outside of China whilst remaining in the region. Vietnam has the right fundamentals, a young, bright population. There's an increased urbanization growth. And additionally, there's great infrastructural projects that are ongoing there. So it's just the right place for you to be able to say, let's use this as a hub across the region um, from growth. So if you look at it macroeconomically, that really is the attraction. Okay, so the story is still intact. Essentially, China is big and China wants to grow global, but now it is contesting with the US. So a lot of companies, I mean, DHL, many other guys have published big reports around this. A lot of companies are shifting to Vietnam. So that is the story. That is the story. That's the story. Okay, okay. Do you have a different take? I mean, oh, you're from same cam lah, but yeah, you know same cam lah. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but but to quote to quote another analyst from another place, right? He said this: uh, Vietnam now, Vietnam is like a time capsule, right? And Vietnam now is like India, China twenty years ago. Really? Yeah. Vietnam is so small relative to where it is. No, like it's, it's, India, it's, China. It's not. It's north of a hundred million in this part of the world. Hundred yeah. million people. So. It has size, it has population. At any point in time over the last 30 years, whether it's its ascension into ASEAN or APEC or the World Trade Organization and more recently the CPTPP, you can tell that there's a progressive story in terms of growth. So you'd want to be part of that potential upside. And that's the attraction that I think that we as a firm think um, in relation to um, Vietnam. So. As a young investor, not that I'm young, but as a young investor, I would say... <laughs> it's okay, you don't need to try. Don't need to. <laughs> it's fine, no one needs to know. Right? No one needs to know. <laughs> but I would say that if you're looking for um, growth potentials and you believe in the country fundamentals, then... Vietnam is the market you should consider. Yeah, no, but but I'm primarily challenging the whole idea of like Vietnam as the next like India, China, you know, because like Vietnam probably has a lot of growth and it has showed double digit growth over the past, you know, decade or so, right? So it has performed very well, but into the future, right? Is it really a China? Is it really an India, right? Because 100 million population countries everywhere in ASEAN, 
right? Like, like Thailand, Indonesia, you know, Philippines. When I say that they are the next, I mean, not I say that, when, I quote, when this analyst say that he's okay, the, he's, he's the next he's uh, China, next <laughs> India, right? We're talking about globalization, right? As the country starts to attract more foreign investments, as, as you can see, like you look at your, your shoes, your clothes, they're all made in Vietnam, made in Vietnam, made in Vietnam, right? In the earlier 2000, in the 90s, things are made in China, made in China, made in China, right? So eventually China start to move out of this production because their workforce are getting more skilled, their workforce are getting more educated, therefore they would demand a higher salary, right? And naturally, uh, workers' wages start to increase more manufacturing would want to move out to a cheaper environment. So these man big manufacturers, right, they will constantly be shifting, you know, at, at some point in time in history, something is made in China, something is made in India, and now things are getting made in Vietnam because Vietnam is now the cheaper workforce, so to say. Mm -hmm. Now to see whether Vietnam can progress, is there any progression in, into the future, right? You should be looking at uh, if foreign firms are investing into the infrastructure of Vietnam. So when you see like, are they, are they building more schools? Are they building into, are they investing into education? Are they investing into STEM education, stuff like that, right? So if you see those signs that are there, that means other people think that, hey, Vietnam got potential, we're going to invest into this. Right. Mm, mm, so for no reason people would would, would yeah, build this yeah, kind of infrastructure fair, there. Fair, fair. I mean, extending from what he just said, if you in July of this year, I think there was a rating uptake for Vietnam. So it's now double B plus. That means it's one notch below investment grade. And once it gets to that investment grade level, all the big financial institutions and the more institutional investors would increase their participation in the market. So the potential on that point becomes immense. Okay, so you are playing on the institutional capital flowing in after the upgrade. Right, so that is that is one of the that's correct one of the play that's for correct. you right for that's all correct. of you tuning in that you don't understand a lot of these big institutions they have mandates right so they cannot invest in um, yeah frontier markets and essentially countries funds markets bonds you know that don't meet a certain rating mm. right so there are all these things so that that is a uh, quite a common discussion when it comes to like potential future growth. The same with even the crypto guys. They're also talking about it. Oh, you know, wow, we can go in. That's so, correct. So big insti money, expecting big insti money to come in. Okay, okay, fair. From that ground, right? I think the common question is always, okay, so Vietnam, there's all these potential, all these things, right? Because I was at the franchising licensing fair uh, over, the few, over the month and there was like a huge... Vietnam contingent, right? Like the Vietnam trade office took out two big roles and there's a lot of merchants coming in, whether all your goods, your rice and all that stuff. Right? So a lot of interesting things. But the question is always, can it translate to the financial markets, right? Because you and I, we are here talking about like investing in the Vietnamese markets, right? Not about opening a business in Vietnam or like buying a property in Vietnam, right? So for a lot of our listeners, you know, like there's real market growth, right? Real economy growth. Is it going to translate to the investment markets? It does translate to the investment markets because the money goes somewhere. So um, whether you're investing into a listed tourist company, for example, um, that money would go into building hotels. That money would go into infrastructures in terms of airports. That money would go into commercial tourist events. So the money does go in um, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think that the problem with Vietnam has always been market access. So whilst you can build the hard brick and mortar type infrastructure, the ports, for investors who are not going to actually go physically to build a railway project, 
But for you to participate in the upside of that railroad project, what you want to do is to access the market. So we feel that buying, say, the Vietnam ETF that we recently listed is a good avenue for you to be able to participate in that same growth story. So yes, you may not be able to pack your bags and go straight across the uh, border and build a house. Or, I mean, you can, um, <laughs> you can. And then just let us know, right? We'll get you on the show. Yes, you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay, but, but on, so, so I, I, I get what you're saying. It will or it may, you know, translate that. But has it translated? It has, it has. Um, you look at the likes of Vin Homes, you look at the likes of um, um, SSI, you look at VN Direct. So these are verifiable beneficiaries of the increased participation of international investors in that local market. So yes, I do believe that it translates pretty well. As a matter of fact, I think most recently PM was um, in Vietnam. Um, the US upgraded its relationship with Vietnam. From Everyone Virginia. is in Everyone Vietnam. Everyone is yeah. in Vietnam. So why not the um, investor? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But from a retail crowd, right? From a retail crowd or like, you know, a creditor investor. I mean, there are a lot of them in our community. Um, how do they think about this? Okay, so all the story is intact, right? Like this is a story. It's not a new story. We've heard this for a while, you know, like how do I then evaluate like, okay, so how does this fit my portfolio? Like what is the strat? Like how do, how do I then enter the game? Okay, without providing financial advice, I think one- <laughs> Never financial <laughs> advice. Never. Huh? I think, it's for education entertainment purposes only. Yeah, okay? That's yes, correct. Thank I you. think the baseline really comes down to what is your risk profile? Uh, so uh, if you think about it, it's probably the easiest way of approaching this. So if you're balanced, if you're conservative, if you're aggressive. So- um, Investment thesis will tell you that you should have equities, have some fixed income products. If you're aggressive, you can tilt your um, skew towards more equity products and less income-like products like fixed income, for example. So Vietnam is a market and their listed equity is not dissimilar to the US. But the only difference is that the stage in the ecosystem in terms of whether you are a developed market, a frontier market, an emerging market, for example. But each of these markets have different risk profiles. So if you're young, for example, you assume to take greater risk being young, and then you take less risk as you get older. So you'd move away from equity market products into probably more fixed income like products. So Vietnam as a country provides that story for you to add into your portfolio. Mm-hmm. But how do you, how would you look at it? Because like the main vein today, the consensus is broadly diversified, right? Global world index, whatever you have it, right? So, and then now you see this new product out in the market saying, oh, you know, you can invest in Vietnam, right? As, as one fund, right? So so where does it fit? Like, how, how do I think about this? So it provides diversification and there's no direct correlation with, say, the MSCI world, for example. I think the correlation is around 0.6. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself brings a different kicker to your portfolio. So that's where the advantage is. You're not going one-for-one likeness where you could say, okay, if I'm buying the S&P 500, or I'm buying the Dow. It's not that far yeah, off. Yeah, I get it. I, I understand yeah. the, the correlation part. Mm. Okay, fair. And and f- so from, from that view, you, you, what are the kind of like risk factors that one has to kind of en- en- entertain, you know, when looking at like, investing in Vietnam then? If you're trying to buy directly, um, it's an ID market. That means you need to have your own um, ID. So that ma- makes it a higher hurdle for most 
retail investors. So where the ETF actually adds value, it's that it provides you with market access without you having to get or um, secure your own um, ID. Generally, um, the ID market is actually for corporates, less so individuals. So it means that you cut out a swath of potential market participants. So by trading the ETF that's listed in a domestic market like, say, Singapore, it provides you a quick opportunity to be able to either buy in Sing or buy in US. Yeah. And then and everything else on the back end gets done for you by your broker. Basically, it's a lower barrier of entry. Mm -hmm. Then what about things like currency risk? You know, like what is what are we looking at when we think about Vietnamese dong? So the exposure to Vietnamese dong will be in relation to the underlying security. Um, but from a trade perspective, it will either be a US do dollar. Yeah, um, of course. But it, affects, right? well, it does affect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even on that point, I think one of the good things that has happened in Vietnam is that over the last 20 odd years, they've tried to move from a straight fixed um, peg to a floating peg. So they have a band within which they work to adjust the FX rate against the US dollars. So it's not, I'm not saying that it is stable, but that provides a little corridor within which it moves either to the upper band or to the lower band. Okay. Do you have some percentage that it's, you are kind at of the moment around, around plus or plus or minus 5%. That's from the Vietnamese dong. Okay. Dong so, so that translates to a risk of 5% variance on your overall, you know, Money. Plus or minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Plus or minus. Yeah, you could be writing up. You don't know, right? Okay, okay. I mean, look, the truth yeah. is, it's not dissimilar if you're trading Malaysia. Of course. Yeah, of it's course, not dissimilar yeah. if you're trading Thailand. It's not even dissimilar if you're trading the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. The US at one point was 1.25. It's now... 1.3, something around there. As long as you're not trading your primary currency, you always have an the exchange currency risk. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I'm trying to understand, like, how, how big of a risk is the Vietnamese dong when, when I'm looking at it? I would say that currency risk is a factor, um, but is one of so many other factors mm. um, that investors should consider. So then what other factors? Because I think recently there's also been quite some stories coming out. I mean, the numbers are there, right? The markets have kind of come down, you know, the property market is, I don't know exactly what the numbers, but you see reports coming in and say, oh, property market is weakened and all that stuff. So like, w how do we kind of understand so, this So what thing? we've tried to do is we've worked with um, iEdge. Um, so it's part of the SGX. And we tried to ensure that we calibrated as best as possible, taking cognizance of some of these factors, which you've mentioned. Um, so, for example, the product that we've um, listed um, has a value-based component. So we remove things like alcohol, gambling, you know, some of the social vices. Why? It's, why? Um, <laughs> Harama. 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 Okay. No, but are you well, Islamic? Are you Islamic? It's not Islamic. It's not Islamic. It's not an Islamic fund. Clear, yeah, it's not Islamic. It's not ESG, but the idea is just value-based. And then what we also did was to overlay that with a sector cap so that you don't have a strong tilt into a particular sector or industry. So whilst the individual stocks are at 10% cap, then the overall sector is at 20 so again, it's to manage some of these outlier risk that you've just um, talked about. And um, we're not saying that it is removes all the risk, but it mitigates some of the ex recent exposures in the market. So we were quite um, intentional um, when we sat down and crafted the product. Okay, yeah, fair, so fair. Because it's so well balanced, right? Uh, not one single sector can pull down the entire ETF. Let's say, you know, recently there's this Vietnamese EV stock 
that Listening. flew and it dropped immediately, right? Because this ETF is so balanced, right? That one single phenomenon in the market, right? Cannot drag down the whole ETF because it's so well balanced. Uh, the whole ETF is reflects the Vietnam economy as a whole. Okay, fair, interesting. Yeah, just just saying because they they do a lot of Islamic. Uh, kind of product so we must be clear this yeah, one is, this is not uh, this is no, not okay not. so you don't listen listen it's like oh yeah yeah the publisher no 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 different okay okay fair maybe tell me a little bit more about the fund and like you know because we're kind of like inching into it already like mm. how do you how do you go about so the, the story is there some of the risk factors you've laid out so then what is the product that you're pushing like what are what, what is the investment methodology and let me re-highlight some of those things yeah it's a um so it's called the cgs full goal um, Vietnam 30 sector capital. It's getting too long these it's days. Names are we, too we, long, my we goodness. We love alphabets. <laughs> I know. I know. Have you seen those we things? I don't know, man. But primarily, I think yeah. the um, important aspect of it, of course, it's a physical replication of um, the big 30 names in Vietnam. Um, we've tried as best as possible to um, review specific factors like foreign ownership limits in the construction of the index that we um, replicate. So in terms of currency types for trading, it's US and SGD. It's tradable in and on, in Singapore and tradable on the SGX. We feel that it is a simplified access product um, to be able to access a what will seemingly be a complex market. Um, there are other products that are of a similar nature, um, but I think where we pride ourselves is that this is a physical um, replication product and does not have any synthetic element around it. Do you want to elaborate what is a synthetic element? For the mass, yes. Like a FCN is a synthetic. Synthetic element meaning like I take one product, example, uh, stock A, and then I layer it with another product, say, example, bond B, and then I mash it up together and I and I calculate it and I, and I balance it and I price it. And then this whole thing is one product. And then this is a synthetic product. So that's an example of synthetic product. Another example is where you don't hold the physical underlying shares. Uh, you're not buying, um, you don't own the shares, but you are um, trading the performance of the online shares. So you're playing a derivative. You're playing a derivative. Okay. Um, could be another example of a synthetic. So in this instance, as a physical buy um, of each of the online shares, you replicate the um, weights of the particular um, index. The other key aspect as well is that it rebalances semi-annually, March and September. And on a constant review basis, we do work with the index provider to ensure that it's duly calibrated to reflect the present circumstances of the market. Okay, why semi-annually? Why semi-annually? <laughs> <laughs> that was a question I was asked, asked yesterday by um, a regulator that why don't you have Wait, it I quarterly? I love a regulator. We're on the same <laughs> level, guys. You must come on the show. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> Um, we've tried as best as possible to reflect the realities of the market. Um, and I think that a semi-annual uh, review, I think, is practical. I had this argument with my PM. <laughs> I love how it's an <laughs> argument. Juicy, juicy. Uh, yeah. What's the argument? Tell us. No, I, had, I had this argument um, because he's very quantitative. Type, quantitative yeah. And he's like, you know, some people will tell you the more you rebalance, the more cost, but there's no direct correlation. So it, it just, it really depends. Um, but in this particular instance, the product is semi-annual. Um, there are other comparative products. So you have the FTSE Vietnam um, listed derivative futures product, which this is 
probably a 99% correlated um, product width. So um, from that perspective, I think that it's reasonable. It provides sufficient time for stocks to be added, stocks to be reviewed. And I think it satisfies um, the goals that we are trying to achieve as a manager mm. of a product for people to invest in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then if I'm entertaining this, you know, essentially you, you got to outperform the markets, right? From a from a from that perspective, relative to a broadly diversified portfolio, if I were to entertain something like okay. Vietnam as a country theme, then I definitely am expecting more. So the way I would look at it is, if you enjoyed, um, if you have a long term view on Vietnam and you want it to be in line with the market, then you should buy an index related product because that means that you are effectively getting the performance of the market plus or minus charges if you are trying to optimize your portfolio um, and you're trying to ensure that you have an equity exposure within that you have primary markets like the us you want a little bit of an alpha kicker for example you could add other investment-like products, whether it's a single country, a single theme, it could be gold, um, depending on the investment class. Um, for the more sophisticated investors, that could be um, an alternative instrument like a hedge fund. So it's it's quite broad in terms of yeah, what of you can add to that. Of mix. course, of course. That's why I, I want to know, like, what's the alpha that <laughs> we're hoping or we're projecting for? I will try not to talk about alpha <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it's a, it's a passive investment product. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, but but relative to, I mean, it's it's relative to the major markets, right? So, like, what are we looking at, or what are we what are we hoping, you know, in the ballpark of? I think the biggest market still is the US. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, from a comparative perspective, you. This year, I think Vietnam is around 18% upside year to date. But again, um, you can't time the market. Of course, so of course. it's not impossible that you go in today and tomorrow the market suddenly come off. But what we're trying to say to people is that if you believe in the long-term story, yeah, and you have patient capital, yeah, in the long term, yeah, they're positive fundamentals that will drive a growth story in terms of return for the typical investor. Yeah, we are all very patient one. Yeah. You're on the right show, right? That's what I'm trying to understand. Right? Let's, say, let's say we wind back 10 years, right? In the past 10 years, I'm sure they probably have a decade of results. Mm. Your fund may not be launched then, but you probably have a result, right? So like, what is what are we projecting? Like, is there a ballpark number that we can kind of think about? With investments, they're normally compounded, yeah. So you can have um, a 10% growth today, you can have 2% growth tomorrow, and then over 10 years, it becomes an average. So I would say that there's definitely a positive upside, upside of, over the last two or three upside cycles for Vietnam, I would say north of 30%, 40% compounded, probably over a 10-year cycle at least okay 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 that's interesting I, don't, I just want to talk about something right i myself when i was learning about investing i would attend podcasts i would attend seminars and attend shows as you are learning the viewers as you are learning right you, you try to pick and listen to what uh professionals are saying you pick out little words and you want to ask questions and you want to know more things but i realized that as you as you ask more direct questions right the answers will always get vague more and more vague. It depends, it depends, it depends. Now, it's not because I used to think that ah, these people don't know one, just anyhow say, that's why they give you a vague answer. But no, okay, it's, it's not the case. The, the, the reason, I love it. I love it. The reason why, why things get more and more vague as you ask more and more specific questions is that, example, some things are not quantifiable. Example, like risk. You can't quantify risk as, oh, this is uh, risk is 100. 
95, risk one, right? Side topic about risk. Risk is not something that you think that you are low risk means you're low risk. Risk is something that you mentally can uh, tahan. Can I say speak English yeah, yeah, on this? Yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. about to say tahan. So, it came to my mind as well. So risk is something Why whether you, you can know tahan, tahan or not, right? You've been well around for too long. You've been around for the Jedi. Example, right? You put a, you buy a 100k investment in this stock A, right? You watch it drop 2%. To some people, uh, that drop is like, oh my God, I should have bought lower. Some people might think that, oh, I shouldn't have bought so early. Some people might think, that, oh, this is a huge loss. This is like some somebody's one month salary. But to some people, it's like 2% only, right? That kind of feeling uh, is where that is one of many ways that you can determine if you are a high risk taker or low risk taker. Because some people say that, oh, I'm a high risk taker, but 100K portfolio drop 5k they'll be like oh my god this is somebody's one month salary and they start to sell and it you no know. so you say you're high risk but if you feel like that uh, you're actually a low risk taker now risk is something that you have to build over time one another like 20 years ago i would think that uh lending my friends 20 dollars is a big deal uh. yeah. but now you know if people come to me and and i would lend a good friend money right i, I was about say, to say the comment oh, section yeah. can comment yeah. it's higher a bit lah. so your your appetite for your risk appetite changes. your risk appetite for uh expenses spending money what is you know chinese say xiao qian you know different people got different definition of what that small money is so back to the topic of risk and and how this etf will match your portfolio in the end right it really all depends to a a myriad of factors, whether your risk tolerance, what is your overall portfolio, what do you have, what are you looking for? The bottom line is this thing exists because the market, in the SGX market, uh, there isn't a product that represents the Vietnam market and there isn't something, there isn't this instrument for people who wish to gain exposure for Vietnam to have that. Because right now, as my other mentioned, right, you want, to, you want to gain exposure to Vietnam, if you even think about wanting to get involved in Vietnam, the barrier of entry is so high. Right. First of all, you have to be a corporate, you have to have X amount of funds, you have to have a C, you have to have like, But now with this product in the market, it's there for you if you want the exposure. I think just a, it was a good segue in terms of how you actually look at risk. And um, for me, I'm not, even though we work in the financial service sector, because of compliance reasons, you are not able to express your view in the market as in the manner that you'd like to. So what that means is that I'm, what you typically say as a risk averse person, because I'm afraid to lose. I'm afraid to lose whether it's a dollar, whether it's 1,000, whether it's 10,000. So when it comes to investment, I'm any loss, I quickly want to get out of it. So in the last couple of years, I've spent more time trying to understand the psychology of the markets because effectively it shouldn't really matter whether the market goes up or down. What matters is the course of your investment goals and objectives. If you can focus on that as your end state, what you'd find is that you'd be able to participate in any upside, yeah, on a net basis at the end in terms of outcomes. If you are looking for the quick win of, I want to get 5% today and then close it, of course, it could be 15% and you've lost 10. You've only made five, you know? And if you close out because the market is down, it could be worse, no doubt, than the numbers at which you close. But if you remain, someone said to me that over time, the market is always on the upside. Over time, it's always going up. So where the market was 10 years ago in terms of baseline is very different from what the baseline is today. And it'll be different 10 years from now. So you just need to be part of the market um, in terms of investment life cycle. We're not talking about trading. Our key focus here um, is to try to educate people not to look at these 
ETF um, as a tradable product to make a quick 5% up, um, upside or 10% upside, yeah, let's say, yeah, yeah. add it to your portfolio for a long-term outcome. And if you can consider that, then you'd be able to participate in the positive story over time of the product. And, you know, the example for this would be like your insurance providers. They are patient. Yeah. So when you buy an insurance product at a young age and they tell you it's a retirement product, because over time, it's just a dependent of, regardless of market cycles. Yeah. You're always invested. So they're able to provide you with an outcome at the end, which is revenue for your retirement plans. Yeah. But if they were trading your stock, yeah, that goals and objectives will never be met. Yeah. But it's different when I put it with the, the insurance guys, right? Because they bear the risk, right? When I, when I put my money in the market, I am subjected to market risk directly. No, no. So the difference is that you are effectively passing away the psychological impact of the market to someone else. Okay. Because theoretically you don't see it. So they just manage that um, investment um, for you. So you don't see it, but because you look at the market every day, it's like, Oh, you know, the S and P is down 300 points. You're like, Jalat, I need to sell down. <laughs> for clarity, say it depends on the products that you subscribe to. Okay, there are different products. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's just our psychology. If you're new to the market, right, you trade a huge sum of money, right, you see that something drop, you will feel like, oh, Jalat, end of the world is something. But if you're a seasoned investor, uh, trader, right, you, this kind of thing is like you know you, you've seen it, you know it's the norm. You you have your parameters set in place. Uh, it's part of a plan. And let's talk about plan later because plan is a huge topic that re retail investor traders they don't understand. Well, maybe you can share what is what what do you mean by plan? Plan plan. How how much time do we have? Uh, we still have some time. It's yeah, a huge wrong. topic. Yeah, yeah, plan. Yeah. Well, okay, but basically plan. Let's say I want to enter into the Vietnam ETF right now. What is my expectation? Right? Do I, am I expecting a double digit return within five years? Some people, okay, the problem with why most people fall victim to bad investments or scams, let's just put scams and bad investments into the same category, right? Is that they have, they enter it without a plan. Now, before a scam is a scam, like when you're listening to the pitch, you are doing your own due diligence and before you lose money in a bad investment, right? You look at it, you study it, you see it, right? It does not, at the point of time to that respective individual, uh, it may or may not seem like a bad thing. It seemed like a pretty good thing. It's only until when you lose money that you, then you realize that, hey, this is a scam. This is a bad investment like GME or bed and bath, right? Stuff like that. So when I talk about plan, uh, most people is, they, they say, okay, I'm going to invest $5,000 and I hope Bitcoin goes to 100K. Mm. <laughs> right, that's it. But then, Think deeper, okay, about a plan is if it drops lower, then how? If it goes up, where will I take profit? That is a very basic layer of a plan. To elaborate further on the plan is that you add time horizon into it, right? I buy 5K now here. In how many years time am I expecting this to reach? How many? If, if, if in five years time, it's still flat, it's still break even, what do I do? What is my worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, if it's dropped, am I going to sell here, am I going to average down or average in? If I'm going to average down, how many, how much percent uh, deviation am I going to average down? Because, right, if your goal is a passive long-term investing approach, right, there is drawdown eventually in that cycle of the thing. Now, when it draws, what do you do? Do I stay because, you know, I am 
my plan, my goal is a long-term passive approach or do I want to average down at another price, maybe at a 5%, 10% drop, right? So most the problem with most retail investors is that they just come into the market and say, this sounds good. I'm going to put 5K inside. And then, then again, after that, it's all your psychology, right? whether you end up selling early or you take profit too early or you... There's a lot of things that could possibly happen, but people don't prepare themselves for it. All right. Of course, to say uh, as someone who is new to the market, right, you will naturally think, okay, what is the best strategy? What is the best asset? I will buy the best asset with the best strategy. And let me draw, okay, what is best for somebody may not be best for you. All right. And this, this piece of advice, right, to, to some people, it just, huh, it don't make sense. If it's the best, I just, I just do, uh, right? But back to the topic on, on risk, uh, this strategy might be the best for me. But I can visually look at 20% drawdowns and, I, and visually I am okay with it. But can you visually tahan that or not? And if you can't, then this strategy is not meant for you. Eh? All right. So that's why when, when you are attending seminars or the best podcast, right? And you ask the experts some definitive question, right? We can never ever give you a one size fit all answer because I don't know the end user listening to this, right? Are they... Present circumstance. Yeah. What what is I don't know what is each of you risk tolerance. Maybe one person listening in Tampines, he's like twenty percent risk can lah. Somebody in, in Jurong West is like five percent risk cannot cannot cannot. So I we can't give you a ballpark answer lah, right? Unless we are talking to you individually as a person, right? Then we know. Shout out to Tampines people lah. <laughs> yeah. hey, Tampines are east side best side. Okay, yeah. <laughs> west side is west side. Right, uh, east side best side. Okay, but but yeah, just, just for context, like, a lot of our listeners are quite sophisticated, right? They have no income. Half of them is more than hundred thousand. You know, household mm. income. So it's a very very good audience. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we just want to try to understand a little bit more on like what are the parameters to consider when, when we're looking at the yeah, yeah, sure. right? So so let's say, okay, um, I, I think I think you've covered quite a bit of it, right? And if you want specifics, just ask them for their, their stuff, you, right? Just go and contact. It's all there, right? You, you can read it, right? Just go and think a little bit about it. In closing, maybe we can talk a little bit about, okay, so what are the bigger upsides, you know, when, when it comes to the Vietnam story? I mean, that, that story is, I get it, right? But what are we, are we looking at more flows? Like is a certain capital inflow into the Vietnam physical market or the, the real economy um, showing a pickup, right? Are we seeing that? And like, what are some of the risk factors that, you know, needs to be highlighted for people to think about, you know, especially with, with some of these other conflating reports coming in, right? I say, hey, so where, where is the future? Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of um, factors um, in relation to, say, Vietnam and not just Vietnam. I think it's just general global state of play. So you have geopolitical concerns, you have inflation, which is pressing. It impacts whether you are in a specific country or outside of that country, because effectively, if you are a consumer and you are suffering from increased interest rates, for example, it means that 
at the end of the month when you want to buy, say, clothes, yeah, the last thing on your mind is not buying clothes or electronic gadgets. It's paying your mortgage because that matters most. But it's not directly related to you, but it's an indirect impact on your activity, whether it be in Vietnam, in Singapore, or anywhere else um, in the world. So geopolitical inflation would be themes to watch out for. Putting all of that aside, um, I think the key positives would be that they the potential for Vietnam to step out of its frontier market, as I alluded to earlier on, into this emerging country status. That's a positive factor. If it gets rated into um, an investment grade rating, I think that's a positive factor. In terms of physical presence, as I mentioned earlier on, again, whether it be the US, whether it be Singapore, um, there's a strategic look at Vietnam. You know, so they, it's been embraced even at a deeper level for a lot of different geopolitical factors. So that means that there will be presence. Now, the advantage of that is that it forces countries to open up a little bit faster, because as I agree with you on certain key parameters, and I expect a reciprocal a degree of reciprocity to open up, whether it's in terms of access to the real economy, in terms of ownership of land, for example. So you start to change land rules, yeah, as an example, or you change ownership rules of investment because you're trying to make sure and to deepen um, the relationships, both from a political perspective to a economic perspective. So I would say that Vietnam has strong growth potentials. I think we haven't even scratched the surface. You have CPTPP still coming. Yeah. So there's just a lot of great variables that are in favor, not just of Vietnam, I think Southeast Asia as a whole, where rightly placed. Um, and I think that that should be factors that people should look at their risk, currency, inflation, you know, um, sectoral risk, as was the case last year with the property market and um, the bonds. But again, the ETF provides more of a macroeconomic means of um, trading because you're looking at all sectors, you know, um, you punish bad performers by removing them from the index, you reward good performers by adding them to the index. So at any given point in time, these things will rebalance themselves um, and provide a positive outcome um, to the investor who wants to participate, not from a trading perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. One, one extension question, right? Um, because the fund has uh, sectorial limits, right? 20% as a bigger sector limit. Are we looking at over-representing certain sectors in relative to the real economy in Vietnam or... You know, like like if let's say like agriculture is a big, big sector, or are we underrepresenting because of these limits, or or the limits does not misrepresent the the full economy in Vietnam? Okay, I think there are already specific tilts in terms of specific in industries. Yeah, so, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so that you can't avoid anyway. But what we're trying to do is just to limit how much of an influence that has. So if hypothetically, for example, a sector had. 33% of the index, by capping it at 20, you allow other factors to balance out and to increase our diversification so that a sector that would have had this big overweight of 33% doesn't impact performance, impact the performance in a negative perspective. So that's where that cap comes in. Of course, it may limit some of the upside that will um, naturally because come about the because primary sector, right? Exactly, yeah, because yeah. it is a primary sector, but it's about balance. Um, and that's what the goal of um, the ETF is trying to okay, achieve. Okay, okay, fair, fair, fair. Interesting. Similar to Singapore, right? Like That's finance correct. is a big sector. It's a big sector. But you limit it yeah. because of blah, 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 right? And then like, are you representing accurately, right? So, so all that stuff. That's great. It's represented accurately in relation to 
the benchmark that's being utilized here. So for an investor, your benchmark would be the IEDGE Vietnam 30 sector cap index. That is, so we will replicate that. So as long as you look at that as your reference point, well, then I you're come from the, 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 the house team, right? Fair, so any account any that you open would actually fall under the house. Specific to right. Vietnam, and I'm there. all this product, they have yours, you know, no last push. No, it's, no I think you've done a great job. Yeah. You okay. think? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to the Jedi, Jedi guy, okay? Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, Thank lovely. you for having us. If you have any questions, check out CGSCIMB. Any, any way that they can ping you? Well, I come from the team called the house team, right? So any account that you open will naturally fall under the house. Okay, okay, right? okay. Fair. And I'm there. We, we, we can be found on, on the internet. So if you just Google CGSCIMB. I love that. Yeah. yeah. As if, we, forget, as, we forget the yeah, internet. We forget the internet yeah. exists, right? Like all these people. <laughs> on Instagram. We I are. thought you were going to say if you Google my name, you can find me. No, <laughs> no some of these people give me this long hyperlink. I was like, yeah, come no on, need. Google just, search. Just, just search. Yeah. CGS-CIMB and something pops up. Yeah, great, great. Thank you for your time. Thanks Lovely. for having Thank us. You. Thank you so much. Nice. Thank you. See you next week.